Turn with me to Acts chapter 20 and just a quick, you know, follow up. Super thankful for Jonathan Larson who shared the word last week. What a great message. If you missed it, you should listen to it about the Lord being our rock. Really blessed by that. This morning we're getting back into our study through the book of Acts. Today we're moving along and coming towards the end of our series of studies where we've been looking at Paul's message to the Ephesian elders, which we've been covering in Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through verse 38. And in part 8 today, our main text is going to be Acts 20, verses 28 through 31. But just to start... Let's actually begin reading in verse 17, and we're going to read up into verse 28 to kind of keep the context and be reminded of what's going on here. Acts 20, verse 17 says, From Miletus he, speaking of Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God verse 28 therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood we were parked in verse 28 for a total of four weeks, seeing the implications in that verse, plus a bunch of other passages of scripture that we brought in, or that I brought in, for those called to lead Jesus's church, but also seeing the implications in this verse and others for Jesus's flock, his church, for all of us. The, the detours and the added emphases, emphases, emphasize, like mice and mice, like is there a plural emphasis? Over the four Sunday studies where we did that were things I believe God wanted to use, wanted us to pause and really focus in on and take to heart and and pray through and apply to our lives individually and that God, I believe, wants to do among us corporately. I believe the things we've been looking at are in some ways God wanting to maybe wake us up from any sort of spiritual sleepiness or apathy or monotony or 
complacency, ways that God is wanting to prepare and equip us right now in the present and also for what he's going to do in the future as we move forward this year and and ways God is wanting us to grab a hold of his desire to make us truly thrive, flourish, fruitful in him and for him and how he ministered to others here in his body and also in how we bless and reach out to the lost outside of our church body. So if you missed any of the messages from our four weeks in Acts 2028, that was parts four through seven of Paul's message to the Ephesian elders, please listen or re-listen to those messages. And my encouragement would be to pray about those things. Pray about those things that we looked at. But to remind us of context, Paul in his message to the Ephesian elders is mainly doing three things. He's In verses 18 through 21, he reminded them of his ministry in the past to them. Verses 22 through 27, he pointed out some things about his ministry in the present. And now in verses 28 through 35, he's wanting to prepare, warn, exhort them regarding things in the future and give some final commendations and exhortations to these church leaders. And so with that context in mind, Once again, read verse 28. Paul speaking says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. There's a twofold aspect to the exhortation Paul gives regarding the role of, the Lord had given these men as elders, as shepherds, as overseers. First, they were to take heed to themselves. They were to to pay close attention to their own lives. And then second, they were to take heed to all the flock. They were to pay close attention both to the lives of the individuals within the church, but then also to the church as a whole. And part of why Paul was charging them and every elder of every church throughout the centuries since then to take heed to themselves and to all the flock was because of the things that Paul is now going to warn them about in verses 29 and 30. So let's read those two verses. Verse 29 says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in, come in among you, not sparing the flock, Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. See, the the elders, the overseers, the shepherds taking heed to all the flock helps to guard against wolves coming in from the outside. Paul's mention of savage wolves who will come in not sparing the flock is actually him referencing false teachers now jesus during his earthly ministry gave warnings against false prophets or false teachers who he said would come check out what jesus said in matthew chapter 7 verses 15 through 20 jesus said this he said beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravenous wolves You will know them by their fruits. 
He says, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree, Jesus says, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. I think it's pretty clear here. Jesus is saying false teachers are not known by their fruits. So if a person comes to you and they've got a basket of rotten apples, you know. No, I'm just kidding. You're going to know them by what comes out of their lives. What comes out of their ministries. Sometimes you can identify these people even from what comes out of the lives of the people who are sitting under those teachings. What kind of things are happening as those things are being instilled in others, as false teaching is being instilled in other people, fruit is going to come out. If a seed of something is being planted, it's going to sprout, it's going to grow, and what comes up is going to help us uh, identify what kind of tree we're seeing, if it's a good tree or if it's a bad tree. See, whatever pleasant or attractive appearance false teachers might have outwardly, they and their teachings are dangerous and oppressive and harmful to those who are deceived by them. And part of how we're able to identify them again is by what comes out of their lives and teachings. But the first thing that Paul says about false teachers in verse 29 of our text is that they're savage. Now, this isn't like modern-day slang kind of savage. Like, dude, that guy's a sad, savage. Like, somehow it's a cool thing. Savage in a good way. No, back then, savage was not a good thing. You, go, you wouldn't go up to somebody and say, man, you're savage. Dude, you killed it out there. Because... This word savage actually is a reference to something being dangerous and oppressive in nature and impact. So the teachings of these false teachers, these false prophets, are dangerous and oppressive in nature and impact. Have you ever seen somebody that's fallen into a cult? The oppressiveness, the weight the burden that is placed on the people within that, it is hard to see. It's hard to witness when someone else isn't seeing the, the weight of maybe, maybe it's not, maybe what it is, it's just, it's a rigidity. It's a Phariseeism sort of thing that's being placed on someone else. But it's oppressive. Because when I look at the gospel, I don't see oppressive. I see Jesus' yoke being easy and his burden being light. We don't come to Jesus and then we're going, oh man, this is just so hard. I'm so oppressed. It's harming me spiritually. And we're like, wow, I'm free now. I'm free in Jesus. Lord, you've lifted the burdens. 
When you said it is finished on the cross, Jesus, you really meant it. You meant that for me. And so when we think about this savage nature of the false teachers, we can see that even in present day. We can see sort of that dangerous and oppressive nature of false teaching. The second thing that Paul says about false teachers is that they'll come in and they won't spare the flock. So first that means that false teachers are going to try to infiltrate the church from the outside. They're going to try to get in from the outside. They're going to look for opportunities to get their false teachings into the lives of genuine believers. But along with that, they're not going to spare the flock, which means that they won't hold back from harming God's people. You know what that means is they don't genuinely care about you. You know what they care about? What they can get from you. What they can put on you. What kind of authority that they can try to draw you in with. To build their little religious empire. Whatever that thing is. They're going to harm God's flock. Understand wolves, false teachers, always seem to have a way of trying to diminish or add to the all-sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus Christ and his word. There's a lot more you can read about false teachers. Just a few references if you want to write some things down and look them up later. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. And all of 2 Peter chapter 2 is really devoted to Peter speaking against false teachers. But the the danger Paul was warning them against was not just a, a danger from the outside in the way of false teachers, of wolves, but as we see in verse 30, was also danger from the inside. The elders, the overseers, the shepherds taking heed to themselves would help prevent men who are leading on the inside of the church from rising up and drawing away disciples away after themselves. And this probably would have been pretty disturbing for these men to hear because this meant that any one of them could have become a danger that the flock needed to be protected from. From among themselves, Paul says, this group of elders, from leaders in the church in general, men would rise up speaking perverse things. Now that word perverse means to make crooked. Speaks of misleading or turning others away or It speaks of deviating from what is considered moral, right, proper, or good. And the reason that they're going to do that, we're told, is to draw away the disciples after themselves. Now that phrase, draw away, in the Greek, carries the sense of changing someone's belief. 
conceived of as moving someone by pulling them away. And, and notice that this misleading, this turning away, this, this deviating from what's right that draws a disciple, a follower of Christ away is, is so that the one drawing the disciples away gains a following after themselves. So there's pride involved here where the person doing this is wanting followers, wanting popularity, wanting to be liked and seen as greater than they really are, wanting authority. And these people are also a danger to God's flock, his church. When I thought about this idea of people rising up and drawing away disciples after themselves, in our social media age, like this is abundantly clear. You know how many self-appointed preachers there are on social media? TikTok and Instagram and whatever else people are using these days. And they can say whatever they want. And there's a desire to have a following. There's a desire to be seen as something maybe greater than you are. And, and I think not even in just the social media end, but I think even over the last two years, we've seen people that have taken advantage of sort of the emotional aspect of where people are at, and they've built their church even on gaining a following of people who hate mass, who love mass, who hate politicians, who love politicians, who are for social justice issues, who who are against them. And, and, and there's this desire to kind of utilize that, oh, well, this, is, this is, seems to be a thing. And, and you wonder in a couple years what kind of state of health of churches and people are going to be who gravitated towards these things because not because not because man Jesus was really being exalted there not because man the spirit of god's really moving here but but because they were for the cause that i'm for what kind of fruit is going to come from that in the long run you know later in his life the apostle john the apostle john He was probably in his 80s at this point when he's writing these letters. He wrote a letter about, and and in his letter, he wrote about a man in one of the churches there in that day named Diotrephes, who seemed to perfectly fit the description of what Paul is warning about here in Acts chapter 20. Check out what John wrote in 3 John chapter 1 verses 9 through 10. He said this, he said, I wrote to the church... But Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. 
Diotrephes loved to have the preeminence. You know what that means? He loved to be first. He loved to have first place. He loved to have the superiority over everyone else in the church. He loved his following. And because of this, he wouldn't receive the aged Apostle John of all people. He wouldn't receive him. No way, I don't want John here. I mean, what does that tell you? He pratted against the Apostle John. This means he spoke nonsense. Speaking against him with harmful words, malicious words. He wouldn't receive visiting missionaries. He forbade others in the church who were wanting to house these visiting missionaries. And and Diotrephes went as far as kicking out of his church the people that tried to help believers who were traveling to share the word of God. It's a crazy indictment to read. How do you get there? Well, I think you get there by becoming one of these people that Paul talks about. That you want some sort of following after yourself. In a similar sort of way, I've unfortunately seen leaders in Jesus' church where something must have switched in their hearts, no longer seeing themselves as being servants called to serve the flock, but seeing the flock as actually being there to serve them and their goals and their vision. That switch of perspective creates an unhealthy ministry where the leader, the pastor, can easily be allowed to be placed on a pedestal where their personality and preaching becomes the attraction and focus And as a result, biblical qualifications regarding leaders in Jesus' church, Christ-like character and personal holiness and purity in the life of that leader stop being the standard that they are held to. And this has led to the ruin of churches, the ruin of individual Christians, has caused the unsaved to blaspheme Christ, And it's damaged the witness of the church. And this has happened throughout the centuries. There are reasons why these things are here in Scripture. Because Jesus loves and cares for his church. Remember, he shed his blood to make us his own. To purchase us. And he wants to protect us as his people from dangers coming from outside and and dangers rising up from the inside but with both the false teaching and the misleading speech to gain a following there's a there's clear warning here that the flock of god needs to be protected against what is false a a massive crucial responsibility has been given to jesus's church both to the leaders and to everyone else within the church Because as the church, as Jesus' disciples, we are the holders and heralders 
of the only source of truth in all of the world, and it's the very word of God. See, when Paul wrote his first letter to Timothy, who some years later we find is pastoring the church in Ephesus, actually, right after giving instruction on qualifications for bishops and elders and pastors and also for the deacons, Paul made it clear why he was writing to Timothy regarding the church. And we see this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul there says this to Timothy. He says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself Notice, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. I mean, that's a pretty lofty, that's a really big responsibility, right? We are the pillar and the ground of the truth. Probably don't even need to tell you this, but in our day, truth is under attack. It's under attack. Truth is being maligned, undermined, and redefined in our day. It's not absolute anymore. It's subjective. You ever, you ever kind of like thought through people's, the whole my truth sort of perspective? Have you ever thought that through? Have you ever thought about how that really works? Because our justice system would have to go away. If someone came and they robbed your house, they felt like that was the right thing to do. That was their truth. Who are any of us to say, no, you can't come and rob me. It, that's what was true to them. That's what they live by. Someone had a truth that, you know what, they could kill somebody else because they just didn't like them. How can we hold somebody accountable in us having any sort of problem? Like anytime there's a crisis like we're seeing in Ukraine and people are outraged, you know what they're saying? There is absolute truth. Putin can't just come up with his own truth that Ukraine should be ours. We'll do whatever we need to do. We'll kill as many people as we need to kill. No, what we say is that's wrong. We say stuff like that because there is a right and wrong. There is a real truth and everything that's not true is a lie. It's false. Please listen. We cannot allow ourselves to be conformed to fit into the mold that the world is trying to squeeze us into and this is especially true when it comes to our view of truth. You know, one of the ways I can help protect you all is through warning you against what is false and teaching you what is true so that you are so firmly grounded in the truth of God's word that you'll be able to spot what's false and not be blown around with every wind of doctrine and the deceitfulness of those who are false. Write these two passages down and, and read them later. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 through chapter 2, verse 10, and Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15. You know, Paul's letter to the church of Colossae is a great example of this. Because instead of trying to speak against every potential false teaching regarding Jesus, he just taught them a whole bunch of truths about Jesus that would equip them to then be able to spot for themselves what was false, which would have helped guard them in that present day against the Gnostic heresies that were starting to infiltrate the church even at that early stage of church history, but as helped equip believers throughout the last almost 2,000 years to combat so many different false teachings up to our present day. I don't know if you know this, but because I didn't. I didn't know this. Google is great in a lot of ways. It can be bad too, but Google can be great. I did a Google search. Did you guys know that there are over 4 thousand recognized religions in our world some it's usually people say between 4200 to 4300 recognized religions in our world over 4000 if i were to spend all my time preaching against all of the other religions outside of true biblical christianity we would become so overwhelmed with the amount of information needed to refute every single one and combat every single lie and deception, and we probably wouldn't have much time for actually just studying and feasting on and seeking to apply and live out God's word as a local church body. See, you guys need to be so grounded in the truth that you can spot the lies for yourself. See, I I can't be with each and every one of you every single second of every single day, and I'm pretty sure you'd get sick of me if I was. You're like, dude, go away. I need a break. This is Jared's too much sometimes. I might say, I'll probably say the same thing about you, but anyways. (laughs) I can't be with you. I can't be with you as you watch TV. I can't be with you when you're watching or reading the news or watching YouTube and TikTok and Instagram videos, when you're listening to podcasts, when you're in conversation, listening to a friend or a family member or a neighbor or a coworker, and the list goes on. I can't be with you all the time to have the opportunity to speak into any of those situations and say in the moment to you, false warning. Turn it off. Wolf in sheep's clothing. (laughs) Right? Someone trying to mislead you to gain a following. But I do have a role and responsibility to fulfill as a pastor in helping to protect you all against the savage wolves and the misleading individuals who just want you to follow them. And a big part of how I do that, again, is by equipping you with the truth of God's word so you can spot you can stay away from you can disregard what's false those things that don't line up with the word of god 
biblical illiteracy is extremely high in our country. We wouldn't, I don't know that we would even really think that. Like, because we think of ourselves as a Christian nation, we think about all the different churches. There's so many churches in our country. Biblical illiteracy is alarmingly high in our nation. First, because the Bible isn't being taught like it should. And second, because people have itching ears and have found preachers and churches who will tell them what they want to hear instead of what the Bible actually says. And that's just indicative of the last days. The Apostle Paul said that himself. It's not enough for you guys, even as we consider that, to listen to the word of God being taught every Sunday. That's great. I encourage you in that. But no, you have to be students of God's word personally. Yes, taking in God's word devotionally each day, but also digging into God's word and making sure that the things that you're hearing and what you're thinking, your worldview, that it aligns with the word of God. You've got to follow the example of the Bereans in Paul's day and search the scriptures daily to make sure that what you're hearing, what you're thinking is actually biblical. But a danger you're going to have to be aware of in that is not letting your relationship with the Lord become purely academic instead of a continual love relationship with your creator and savior. Not, not getting a bunch of head knowledge without heart transformation and practical application and not becoming great at refuting what's false but in the process having left your first love and needing to repent as was the indictment of the church of Ephesus years later in Revelation chapter 2. See, while this is a charge to church elders, there's clearly things for all of us here to take to heart. But let's look at verse 31. Paul says, Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. These were not light things for the Apostle Paul to share with these Ephesian elders. No, they were heartbreaking, heavy things that had been weighing on him for a few years. Which is clear from what Paul says here as he reminds them that for three years he didn't cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Tears, weeping. These warnings and tears came from this knowledge that Paul had that wolves would come in from the outside and that leaders speaking perverse things would rise up from the inside to draw disciples away. But this also tells us that another aspect of protecting God's flock for the elder, shepherd, overseer has to do with watching and remembering. The uh, founding pastor of the Calvary Chapel movement, Pastor Chuck Smith, said something very simple but very important in his commentary on this verse. Let me read that to you. He said, watching has to do with the future. Remembering has to do with the past. We need the foundation of the past so that we can watch 
for the future. He said, if we do not remember the past, we will make the same mistakes in the future. I just thought that was really simple, but really important. In order to watch well, the leaders in the church must be among the flock, must be alert and awake to what's going on with the flock, and and must be ready to confront the dangers to the flock. But it's not just watching, it's also remembering that's necessary for that spiritual protection to take place. And what's interesting about this word remember here is that it carries the sense in the Greek language of of remembering someone or something and then responding accordingly. It's a remembering that's followed by a response. Paul wanted them to remember what he had taught and preached to them and and warned them about in the three years he spent with them in Ephesus. Wanted them to remember what God spoke through him so that they would then respond accordingly to what they had heard and learned and had imparted to them. It's clear that the primary emphasis from Paul here is to the church elders because that's his audience. He wants elders, he wants the overseers, the shepherds, to be alert and to apply the warnings that he's giving. But being watchful, And that word meaning to be alert and awake spiritually is also something that each of us individually is called to as disciples of Jesus. Here's some other places where we see this same Greek word that's translated watch in the New Testament. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Peter says, be sober, be vigilant. And that word vigilant is the same word that we get that's translated watch. He says, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Then in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14, Paul there says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Paul in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant. Again, that word watch is there. Vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And then Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Jesus there speaking said, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. We need to watch, be alert and awake because our spiritual enemy, the devil, wants to devour us. We need to watch because the Lord wants us to stand fast, to stand firm in our faith in Him, being brave and strong in Him, letting all that we do be done with love. We need to watch when it comes to our prayer lives, making sure there's an element of thanksgiving in our earnest prayers. And we need to watch because Jesus is coming back at an hour that we do not know. Guys, the point of all this isn't so that we are anxious and fearful all the time. Freaked out that a wolf is going to come in and destroy us at any moment or, or skeptical and distrusting of everyone around us or the spiritual leaders God has placed among or over us because 
Any one of them might rise up and start speaking perverse things, trying to draw us away after themselves. No, the point of this is that God cares about us as his flock, and he wants to protect us spiritually. He wants us to be prepared and equipped and warned. He wants us watching and remembering. And part of that is us being awake, alert, watchful. That we would be firmly rooted in the truth of God's word and not blown around with all the different doctrines, all the different things that are going on that are being preached and spoken about. That we would be so familiar and so in tune with our good shepherd Jesus' voice that we wouldn't listen to or follow the voices of those who would want to destroy us or lead us astray. I might have been mistaken this morning, but I think I heard this. Julian, Mary, and Josh are practicing, and I was over in the room, and I saw Ezzy and Micah, and I'm pretty sure I heard one of them as Julian was singing, and they they were not in eye shot. They couldn't see that Julian was over here. But I'm pretty sure I heard one of the boys saying, I hear him. I hear him. And I, I thought about that this morning I was, as I was considering this, that Jesus talked about his sheep hearing his voice and they follow him and they don't follow strangers. But just as those boys heard, they didn't see their dad, but they heard his voice, that they were drawn to him because they heard him singing that Jesus in the same way wants us to hear his voice and follow him only. Just to, we don't need to overcomplicate it. Hear Jesus's voice, hear your good shepherd's voice and follow him only. And man, we hear him loud and, loud and clear through the pages of his word. I'm gonna have the worship team come back up. You know, there's a lot here for us to meditate on and pray through and seek to apply to our lives. I think, if anything, we are reminded this morning, God wants us to be firm, firmly fixed in place in him. Not blown around, not uprooted, not bowled over, not led astray, but standing strong in Jesus, strong in his word. This reminds us of the great care of Jesus. That he didn't just purchase us with his own blood, he's left us instructions so that the people that he cares for so deeply and radically would be protected would be cared for properly. He cares about the state of your heart. He cares that you're, he cares what you're listening to. He he cares what your heart gravitates towards. And if you've been even recently or even for a time, maybe you've been listening, maybe there's been some 
false element. Maybe there, there's been someone even that you've allowed to have a voice that they're just, they just want you to follow them. Trying to appeal to your emotions. They're trying to say things to kind of get you to gravitate towards a certain cause or whatever it might be. But it's not Jesus. It's not his word. Maybe it's not biblical sorts of issues. I would say this morning, there's a warning for us, a good warning, a gracious and loving warning from our God who loves us and cares about our spiritual state. That if we've been going even one degree in a direction that's not fully towards Jesus Christ, that's not fully fixed in the word of God, that there's course correction that's needed this morning. It's not a warning where Jesus is going, man, you've blown it so bad, you're so off course, I can't, can't help you. He's going, look, like, just fix your compass back on me. Make sure you're listening to my voice. Make sure you're following me, not following people, not following a cause, not following social justice issues, not following a political leader, not, not, not any of that stuff, but following Jesus Christ with every ounce of your being. Man, he wants to use us in these days. As we consider our world scene, and again, these things that where you start to see that the rampant hopelessness that's already there, but it starts to kind of come to the surface in these different crises that happen, I, I want to continue to remind us we are those people of hope. We are the heralders of truth. We have the truth of God's word. We know where to direct people to. We know who to point people to. There is only one hope. There is one source of salvation. There is only one way, truth, and life. And it's Jesus. We have him. We can give him. Let's do it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for warnings. God, I need to be warned all the time. You warn because you care. You warn because you love us and you want the best for us. Lord, you warn because you want our hearts to stay close to you. Lord, you warn because you don't want us getting off into secondary or lesser things that don't really matter in the scheme of eternity. Lord, you warn because, God, you want us to be those who are grounded, rooted in place in you and in the truth of your word. Lord God, make us those heralders of hope, heralders of truth in these days. Lord, help us to know how to speak the truth in love. Lord, help us to know how to reach out to those who have bought into false things. Lord, help us to know who to stop listening to and stop following maybe even because really those people are just wanting us to follow them. God, would you protect us as your people? And Lord, would you empower us in these days? to declare Jesus 
Lord, help us to live out your gospel. Lord, that others would see Jesus in us and be drawn to Jesus through us. And look, if you're here this morning and you don't first just have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity. The Lord this morning would warn you if that's you, warning you. Because what's in your future is eternal destruction and he, need, and he doesn't want that for you. He came to give life. He came to set the captives free. He wants to take those who are on that broad road leading to destruction and, and snatch you off of that and bring you into his kingdom, bring you into his family, put you on that narrow path leading to life. But it's only through Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning and you need to make a decision for Jesus, wherever you're at, would you just stand this morning as a way of confessing? And those of you that are already standing, I, I get where you're at. But if that's you, just stand this morning. If you need to confess and repent of your sin and turn in faith to Jesus Christ and receive his salvation, know this morning that he wants to save you. Maybe that's somebody online this morning you're watching or maybe you're listening to this later on and that's you I just encourage you in your own heart to say Jesus I am a sinner Jesus would you save me Jesus I repent I turn away from my sin and I I put my trust my faith in you today Jesus I believe that you died on the cross for my sin that you rose from the grave Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord, be my God. Forgive me and cleanse me and make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. Jesus, I put my faith and my hope in you. Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you seal me with your spirit? And would you empower me to live for you? I just encourage you, if you've prayed that, you've meant that from your heart, you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you will be saved. And Lord, I just pray for all of us as we respond to your word and songs of praise. Lord, would the truth of your word motivate our worship as we're reminded of your care of who you are as our good shepherd of your protection of your flock, of how you're wanting us to hear your voice and follow you. Lord, would you help us to, to just, God, not hold back from you. Lord, you are worthy. You alone are worthy. And so, Lord, would you be praised as we sing these songs, as we take of the communion elements, Lord, as we fellowship and tear down all these different things lord would you be lord glorified in every bit of it we thank you father we pray these things in jesus name amen